podcast that explores the breadth and the depth of the world of Eberron. I'm one of your hosts, Wayne Chang. I'm Keith Baker. I'm Imogen Jinjo. And in this episode, we'll be looking at what the drow look like, uh, if we don't already know, uh, in Eberron. Uh, welcome, everybody. Thank you, listeners, for uh, for being with us. Uh, apologies, we have been a, long, a little bit of a hiatus. It's, it's been a while. Uh, We've been hiding enough. out in Zendrick. Yes. <laughs> Lost with the curse of the traveler. There you go. Um, just a quick, uh, quick little thing, obviously. Uh, we are supported and and sponsored by KB Presents, an imprint of Together Studios. And as I mentioned before today, we're talking about Drow. And uh, just as a, a quick note, I you know if you've been following along and uh, you know a little bit about D in general, you know that Drow had this. Uh, actually, had a pretty big changeover recently uh, in uh, in D and D lore in general and and Forgotten Realms, as as a lot of people do know. Um, but we're going to talk specifically, obviously, about um, the changes that were made for Eberron. Um, and remember, Eberron was originally made in 3.5, so we're talking, mm-hmm. what are we talking about, almost 20 years ago, 18 yeah. years ago now? It was yeah. actually this month, 18 years ago, <laughs> uh, 2004. Uh, so obviously, uh, Drow were, the, the Drow idea was different than it was back then than it is now, and so Eberron's Drow are even more different than that. Um but uh, let's just go through really quick. We have a couple references, obviously, uh, Race of Eberron, Secrets of Zendrix, City of Stormreach uh, from third edition source books. Uh, lots of drow information in there. Um, uh, lots of information, but also not a lot. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we've got some th- stuff in uh, Dragon Magazine 330. And um, also Keith has written two articles. I that believe guy. if you type the word drow into the search on Keith's blog, you'll come up with a couple of things. But of course, we are going to have links in the show notes for that. But let's start, um, and we're going to use a slightly different format today as we as we do this. Um, and we're going to start with a couple more prompts. We're going to ask ourselves some questions, um, some of the questions that Keith does get asked on his blog or in his Patreon, and sometimes the questions we see uh, in the community. So why don't we start with a brief lore rundown? We're going to go into how things were designed or how... Um, we think they were designed. Keith obviously knows some mm-hmm. things, and 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 we're guessing at others. Uh, and then we're going to look at um, how our drow used, but from a personal perspective, and and what are our, our ideas about it. But let's start. Let's start basic uh, and quickly. What are we talking about? What 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 is what is a drow, and why is it different in Eberron? So starting with just what are the drow of Eberron? You know, the drow have always been presented as, uh, you know, the dark elves and with the forgotten realms is specifically the subterranean, inherently evil, uh, species opposed to the light elves of the surface. And, you know, we'll talk more about, uh, sort of how we ended up where we ended up, uh, in a moment, but from the start, Eberron has always been basically questioning things and changing things. Knew from the beginning, we weren't going to have a race that was inherently evil, that didn't serve, you know, a demon or such, and wanted to do something different. Uh, At this point, sort of as the game evolved, we ended up with three primary drow cultures, because one of the basic points was... Eberron doesn't like monocultures. You know, you happen to be a drow, but drow doesn't define you completely. 
The three cultures we have defined so far are what are commonly called the Vukoria or the Vukoridal, uh, who are more sort of primal uh, nomadic jungle dwellers. And traditionally, originally, they started out being focused on the scorpion, uh, Volcor. Uh, but through later things, we sort of broadened that out uh, in particular to say they are more of a wide primal society that focuses on multiple sort of totemic spirits. Uh, but still, they are a society of hunters, uh, you know, again, nomadic and very out in the wilderness. The Sumatar drow trace back their roots to uh, the Age of Giants and the Sumat League, who were specifically skilled at elemental binding. And the idea is that the Sumatar once served the Sumat League and have held on to a lot of their traditions and techniques. So the Sumatar use a form of elemental binding. They have what are called fire sleds, so they can cruise around and shoot at you with flamethrowers. Uh, and they are just, uh, you know, they live in vast obsidian cities. Uh, so they're quite different. You know, they don't have a vast widespread empire in part because that doesn't work on Zendrick. You have this madness of crowds that tears people apart but they still live within cities and have some advanced aspects to their society finally we have the umbrogen and the umbrogen live in kyber and are basically a subterranean society of drow who have essentially bonded with what amounts to a malevolent form of the silver flame uh, this force called the Umbra, and this gives them magical abilities, but it also sort of has a cost. It sort of sucks away uh, some of their essence over time. Uh, the Umbrajan Drow are the most advanced of the three in terms of their magical sophistication, uh, the most sort of widespread, and so they're the sort of giant alien underground civilization, uh, but part of the idea is that they too are not inherently evil there's a you know sort of twist we could go there and that in particular what drives them is that they're fighting uh aberrations they're fighting the dalkir and so part of the point uh to the umbrogen is that they themselves are inherently in a battle against sort of a true unquestionable evil and this is where I reveal a personal failing and, and reveal I've been calling them Umbregan for the last 15 oh, years. Well, you know, see, I like Umbregan, <laughs> but yeah. it's just supposed to be basically the, the yeah. children of the Umbra, you know, yes. that they're just tied to the Umbra. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> how we got here, it is, this is one of the cases where the Eberron campaign setting, the original 3.5 book, is not a perfect document. Uh, you know, it has things like the blood of all changed a lot over time. And one of the things of it that I never particularly liked was the drow is that we came, started off and said, well, the drow are going to be different. And I wasn't uh, too involved there. And how they ended up being different is instead of liking spiders, they like scorpions. And I'm just like, it's even another arachnid. Like this is not a really groundbreaking change. You know, like I appreciated that they weren't inherently innately evil, but it always felt like this is not as exciting as it should be. And so it was actually with my second novel, The Shattered Land, 
uh, took place on Zendrick. And that was where I was like, okay, if this is going to involve Drow, I want them to have more depth. I want there to be more layers to their civilizations. And similarly, the idea that there should be more than one Drow civilization. You know, they're just like humans. You know, there is no reason they should all be bound to this one thing. Uh, so the first step of that was introducing the Kaltiar as a a form of uh, the Volcori, you know, basically saying scorpions are great, but the Volcori also draw on the spirit of the shifting panther, the displacer beast. They also draw on the Tlixen bird for speed of essentially trying to introduce what we now refer to as a wide primal society, saying that Part of this was also the point that the Vulcori drow are not supposed to be primitive. They are supposed to be using a form of magical tool that is not arcane. And so they are advanced in their own way and that they're just a very different society than we're used to. Um, so one of the, the characters who appears in the Shattered Land and then continues into some of the other books, Zeusasar, is... Um, you know, is a Volcori Volcori drow. And I really wanted to try and show like, this is, this is a society with its own magical traditions and its own sophistication. Um, The Sulatar were introduced in that same novel as here's a completely different drow culture that is again, using its own magic, using its own traditions and in opposition uh, to the Volcori and neither of which are particularly evil both of which dislike each other. Like they've been fighting this ancient civil war over basically who likes the giants. Um, And then finally, so both of those got worked into Secrets of Zendrick, which came out around the same time as I was writing the novels. And I basically worked a bunch of things from the novels into that and then have sort of continued to persist ever since then. Uh, The Umbergen first appeared of all things when we were writing a... Uh, Dungeons and Dragons based real time strategy game called Dragon Shard for Atari. And it was set in Zendrick. And one of the factions is essentially the Silver Flame. And so the Umbrogen initially appeared as this sort of local faction uh, drawing on this darker power source. The sad thing about it is that originally they were supposed to have like I scripted a full player campaign where you would play from the Umbergen perspective. And so they originally had sort of a lot of depth of where you discover, Oh, they're fighting against Belashira, you know, that they're actually just trying to find a weapon strong enough to protect their people and sort of getting into this idea that even the Umbra itself is something that they, they've sort of bound themselves to it because they feel they have to, to survive and that there is this sort of greater level of complexity and tragedy to the Umbrogen that they've been sort of trapped in this, you know, between a rock and a hard place and and pulled on this shadow uh, because they need to, not because like, oh, they're inherently evil or think that demons are cool. Sadly, that didn't get, um, you know, as I said, that's the one campaign you didn't get to play in the game. And none of these groups have really got more than a couple paragraphs in any of the books that have followed. Mm. I'm trying to remember back to the um, video game plot now. And it's <laughs> another thing I'll admit, it has been a very long time since I played it. Um, but I remember in, in, so for example, in the Dragon Magazine 330 uh, article mm-hmm. on the Umbrogen that we link, 
it sets out all these things you've talked about, about this mm -hmm. conflict in Kyber um, with the Delkir and so on. And then in the video game, I think, at least when you play against them from this perspective of the Silver Flame faction or whatever, um, I think some of the Umbergen units turn, were mind flayers and things like that. And I don't remember if they had mind flayers. Mm -hmm. I remember they were supposed to have like essentially an enslaved beholder, I think, like uh, as a, as a sort of yeah. harnessed, you know, thing they captured and turned to their own way. Uh, Dragon Shard is not a, a very super accurate way to get Eberron Lord. Like we worked a bunch of things and like mm -hmm. I ended up creating uh, what we call the Bolatashi, you know, the idea of a sort of living engine of creation to explain how the lizard folk create their units because there's a lizard folk fashion. And I've had lots of people yeah. being like, oh, well, where do they come from? How do the dragons feel about them? And I'm like, honestly, they were created as a real-time strategy unit. Like they were not really, <laughs> this is not supposed to be a deep part of of how the game works. Um, but with the Umbrogen, again, I really like this concept of of taking this thing where you say, oh, I get it, they're underground evil elves, and saying, well, no, actually, it's a pretty tragic situation, and they're really just sort of forced down this dark path uh, to survive. Um, and then as an Umbrogen, if you're playing one, you have this sort of idea that I've I've linked myself to this dark power, which is going to slowly eat my soul, basically, because I have to to save my people. Like that it's this sort of grim, uh, grim bargain, not something that they're psyched about or, you know, celebrate. Yeah. And I think that tends to make them much more, um, at least from my perspective, much more fun villains than say, uh, the traditional Lolf style Forgotten Realms drow, uh, where their culture is kind of celebrates, you know, right. treachery and, and, backstabbing and all, all this, whereas the, the, the Umbrogena, you know, they may have that stuff, but they're doing it because it's how they're doing it. You know, it, it's, yeah, it's definitely the point that, that in Eberron pulp is part of what we're drawing on. We want things where you can say, you know, this is dramatic evil. The Umbrogen can fill that point, you know, that role. If you need them, I'm the commander, you know, commander of shadows, you know, uh, we're, we're allied with the blood queen of the, the cavalry. Like you can do that sort of epic dark threat, but even there we want to say, but there's a reason like from their perspective, they are the heroes. They are doing what they have to do to protect their people. They aren't just twirling mustaches and, and cackling as they tie people to, you know, the railroad tracks. I, I, um, I feel that that needs to be the new race that that's introduced the twirly mustache ones. <laughs> you, you, need, you need that, you need that really, really pulp, you know, a little bit of little bit of humor element in, in there, but uh, a new elf separates the mustache elf. Yeah, I, I mustache. think the mustache <laughs> is a symbiont. The mustache yeah. comes from uh, is is a, a Dalkir symbiont that turns you evil. Uh, so yeah, now there's some preview of some content from a future book, perhaps. <laughs> there you go. Um, um, should, should we talk about yeah. uh, how we've? Uh, well, the next prompt question we want to talk about is how each of us have used the drow in our D and D games, uh, um, or you know, if we haven't, how we would um, like to. So, um, I guess Wayne, do you want to go first, or shall I kick off? Um, 
just thinking about like Zendra campaigns, because we're talking most, we're kind of more focused than that that continent. The big enemy in Zendrik, other than the natural environment, it, it has always really been, for me, has always really been giants. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I first was running campaigns uh, in Zendrik, you know, it wasn't, um, I guess Drow didn't really come up as much. I guess also because I don't think I remember reading Sulatar that mm-hmm. carefully, not not really remembering it, um, even though I had read the novels, um, that had not been a big thing that that would be my enemy uh, of choice you know to translate just because there is a visual like my imagination of of sulatar is fire giants right Mm -hmm. we're talking fire you know and it's that sort of architecture it's that sort of oppressiveness it's that sort of like almost like black iron and flames sort of thing it creates a visual element for these drow, even though they might have something different. Yes, they have element binding, all that stuff, but it creates this visual element where it makes an obvious enemy. It makes an obvious bad guy, not because they are black skin, but because they are little fire giants. Fire giants bad, little fire giants bad. That's that's that would be that would be my thing. Um, you know, I definitely would I, I definitely did use giants back then. I didn't really use drow. I mean, I liked the idea of the Vokori um as a again as a visual aspect you've got drow who have ritual scarification you know the white lines that was that's pretty cool like that's very very interesting um the scorpion stuff was like well you substitute again you substitute spider for scorpion okay cool now all the driders have stingers <laughs> never saw it coming yeah yeah never saw <laughs> yeah, one coming the, the, the drider um, to the scoro and it's yeah. like oh it's ha- i mean it's basically yeah yeah you know and then and then to have them, you know, to be these jungle experts, it, I guess it still translates from Underdark, you know your territory, you're the predator, to you're in a jungle now and you're the predator. You're like the predator scorpion, jumping scorpion or something like that. I mean, I guess if you just take the basics of that, that translates. But for me, definitely it would be the Sulatar. Like that's that's sort of the... They've got magic that you are obvious and you can see and you want. Um, they worship. I'm using air quotes. The you can't promise see them. of fire. You worship yeah. um, the these giants who are like, you know, the these ancient masters. Um, and you've got that fire theme where it's sort of like, yeah, they're going on. They're on hovercrafts with flamethrowers coming at you. I mean, stylish. You're in a jungle. They're gonna burn down the jungle around you. It's a perfect. It's it's a perfect match. At least that's that's what I would use. Mm-hmm. Um, in in terms of using specific specifically looking at as Drow as the antagonists, um, in that in in some in a story. Yeah, and thinking about campaigns that I've run, I actually ended up end up um, using the Sulatar as sort of primary antagonists for a campaign um, that didn't run to conclusion as many campaigns don't, but I. I I got far enough along that we got some uh, some good scenes with these villains. Um, so I had um, uh, a kind of a faction or a cult of uh, Sulatar, who, as Keith alluded to, were kind of worshippers of the promise of fire. Um, so their um, world-ending villainous role was that they were trying to bring about um, a sort of fiery apocalypse um, 
by means of uh, manipulating the planes to to bring Fernia into to kind of a permanent alignment um, with Eberron. So we ended up having um, a sort of continent-wide jaunt across Eberron as you do. Um, and in each of these um, single places, we had these drab pop-up uh, do a, a bit of weird planar magic, um, gradually bringing each of the 13 planes into order until um, uh, in the final one, they would bring Fernia into alignment and it would stay there and the world would burn and the the, the Sulatar would um, earn the praise of their fire giant mistress <laughs> who was going to be the ultimate bit bad. Um which was great fun, to be honest. It's it, you know, they were kind of mustache twirling villains, mustache elves, um, but sometimes it's fun to do that. And you know, what's better than how you know your villain turns up in a fire sled, which is all black yep. with flame decals on the side. Um, it's it's very pulp in that respect. And and to me, I associate pulp. I associate Zendrick more typically with pulp than noir, mm-hmm. frankly. I mean, like you're doing noir in the mean streets of Sharn. Zendrick is all about that over the top adventures and the ruins of ancient civilizations. And, and that's uh, where we're going there. Uh, did you have more? Um, I, I, I mean, I think like the, the, the only other interesting thing I think that went with that campaign is that the, um, it's me, so I had to work Reedra into this, and the Dreaming oh, well, Dark enough. ended up as uh, sort of secondary antagonists, um, but also kind of secondary allies uh, in that they, um, you know, the thing of the Dreaming Dark is they want to maintain uh, sort of Reedra dominance, or well, not Reedra really, but the the current mm-hmm. age of Dalcor. Right. So they're all about stability and making sure nothing happens as opposed to the Sulatar faction, which was, we want to burn it all down and cause the greatest change Eberron has ever seen with the promise of fire. Um, so, uh, yeah, we were kind of seeding some things with, you know, the Dreaming Dark would end up being, quote-unquote, on the good side, um, or rather <laughs> the enemy of the enemy of my friend, you know, or however that goes. Um, I know, it was good fun. <laughs> Keith, what have you done? So for me, you know, the main thing I've done, of course, is written novels. And yes. uh, that is sort of like running a campaign. Uh, and certainly when you look to the Dreaming Dark novel, uh, you know, it fits with everything we've been saying is that in the Shattered Land, part of the idea is you initially encounter uh, what I call the Kaltiar, but, you know, they're Vukori Drow and... You're initially assuming, oh my goodness, it's Drow, they're wearing scorpion kite armor, and they're, you know, all of this, they must be evil. But of course, it turns out they're not. You know, they're just, uh, and they, meanwhile, see the the adventurers as interlopers, uh, you know, intruders in their land. So there's some tension. But the point is, no, they're not actually evil. And in fact, they're, you know, fighting against the same throw. And in a similar situation, uh, it's it's not quite as grand uh, on scale as what you're saying, but it's still a principle of the Sulatar chasing the promise of fire. Uh, 
And part of that ties to the idea that the Sumatar, again, to me, they think they're doing a great thing. The, they're going to bring fiery apotheosis to the world. Like it's all back to they are mustached or villains in the sense that they're going to say, ha, 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 the promise of fire is here. But in part, that's because they think the promise of fire is great. You know, like they think this is what the world has coming. Um, so even there, they're they're still doing what their their culture believes in. But it ties to what you were saying uh, before, Wayne, of you already have this concept of Zendrick as this place of these cyclopean ruins of the, you know, cities built by fire giants. And then I like the Sulatar as essentially being something just completely different in sort of appearance, style, and attitude than the Volcori. That, you know, they live in the great towers, you know, obsidian towers, and they have harnessed fire, and they're just a very different culture. And uh, so I like having those two in conflict. Um, meanwhile, with the Umbergen, again, just looking back to the role they played in Dragon Shard was a similar idea uh, where there is a great source of power and the good guys, we think, you know, are trying to get it because we're good guys. We should have this. And then, ooh, Dark Elves, the Dark Elves <laughs> want it. Oh, terrible. And it's only sort of when you dig deeper, you have these two cultures, both of which essentially immediately dismiss the other as, oh, you're horrible. We don't want anything to do with you. But as I say, what you ultimately get to is the fact that the Umbergen are just trying to fight to protect their people as well, you know, and their only concern is is getting the weapon they need to defeat Belashira. And so it is just back to that idea of they are very alien they're an extremely unfamiliar, disturbing culture. But the point is, when you do go a little deeper, that doesn't mean actually they're evil and that you can't potentially work with them. They're just not what you expect them to be. Um, so that's that's sort of the way I like to use the Umbergen, is that point, is to bring them across as something that is frightening, as something that is likely initially opposed, but that the longer you deal with them, the more you see that, A, they don't understand you any more than you understand them. Uh, but that if you actually do break through that, uh, there's no particular reason you have to be in opposition, that that you both, you know, actually have essentially a common enemy. Yeah, I think one of the things, for, for people who are not as familiar with, with Eberron and are trying to look for context, um, I guess the closest context I can think of just in general D&D, uh, think Shatterkai. Mm -hmm. You know, Shatterkai are not necessarily evil. Right. They have attached themselves to the Shadowfell to survive. Right. Um, they're trying to survive the Shadowfell, but <laughs> they're trying to <laughs> um, But um, they have this sort of like dark, they have this dark aspect um, where they are being consumed. Um, but um, they're, they're, I don't remember the exact history of, of Shatterkai. I haven't actually read it in a while. But it, it has that those vibes for anybody who is familiar with general D&D and not familiar and, with, with Eberron. And that was actually part of the point to introducing them at the time was that this was a place you could use Shatterkai creatures if you wanted to, was use them as Umbergen. 
Uh, so there was a point to which it was saying, let's weave all of these together and say, oh, they're a form of drow that went down because, of course, you don't have the Raven Queen traditionally in Eberron, you know, as a way to weave these things together. Um, but it also was wanting to say for those people who like the idea of a sophisticated, advanced, underdark civilization, that uh, the Umbergen give you that without it actually being, you know, as I say, I say without it being demon worshipping, the whole idea is the umbra the umbra isn't nice <laughs> but it's still also it's like the silver flame you know it isn't a a sort of actual deity who's going to come down and punch you in the face it's this force of power that they found and we're basically like well this is the only thing we could use to save ourselves uh even though it's going to eat us from the inside and the other thing from an interesting just sort of long-term campaign thing to explore is that concept of what is the Umbra. And it is sort of ties to uh, what is the silver flame, you know, how many of these power sources could be created. And the essential idea of the Umbra, at least one of them, is that it is uh, the gestalt souls of the Kabbalah of basically this ancient elven society uh, that was so powerful that even the giants feared them that were epic necromancers and wizards that ended up essentially being destroyed in a in a big cataclysm uh, and the idea is they essentially channeled their essence into what became the umbra so that they wouldn't all die in dolor and there's definitely this deeper story you could explore of essentially what's the umbra do the uh, the Kabbalah want to return, uh, you know, and especially if you get into Kabbalah undead and things like that, which was part of the Dragon Shard story. If you had gone down the, the Umbergen path was essentially they dig up a Kabbalah vampire who basically has her own plans and is going to try and sort of tap everything for her own power. So I'd like the Umbergen as they're scary. They're very emo, but actually when you dig deep enough they're not necessarily villains yeah i guess it's it's a really good faction uh to use if you want to play with the kind of um shades of gray or drawing parallels um on on the less poppy side of everyone as well for example yep. i mean as, as you say you know if you're putting them in contrast with the silver flame are they really all that different just mm-hmm. because one is necromantic and one is you know a radiant power um, and hey, do you know the silver flame isn't slowly sucking your soul out when you? Well, use it? yeah. Are you so sure? You know, <laughs> well, I mean, like, <laughs> the uh, belief is that you join with them when you die, rather than going to well, yeah. once you pass through Dola, right? So yeah. um, maybe they're not all that different. But um, I think that ties to the the sort of our next prompt, which is: Have you ever played a Drow PC? And if you didn't, if if not, you know, what would you play? So since you were talking Imogen, yeah, if you were playing a Drow PC, or have you? I have not, no. Um, I, it would be good to, because I think it's, it's, it's a, a sort of nugget of the setting I haven't explored much as a player. Um, but in thinking about, you know, when we we're writing out these prompts and things, I did have a think about what I would want to do if I did. Um, and I think for me, the, the, the most fun... Well, for me personally, is that I would I would probably try a Volcari character first. Mm-hmm. 
Um, because I think, you know, we, we joke about um, them being a, a kind of uh, palette swap and switching on out spider for, for Scorpion. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, in, in, in rereading some of the books um, before we recorded today, um, there was a, a quite a common nugget in there that stuck with me. And that was this idea of um, the, 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 the scorpions, you know, real, real world scorpions as being, you know, they're, they're quite fearsome and scary predators. Yes, but they also have this protective side, mm-hmm. you know, where the, the, Good mothers. the mother scorpion carries uh, the babies on the back until mm-hmm. they're old enough to go out and venture for themselves. So I think it'd be really fun to try playing a Volcari drow that is, uh, you know, playing up those those two aspects of a kind of um, the 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 hard hunter who is, you know, honed by the the harshness of the jungles of Sendrick, um, potentially turning up in a, in a strange uh, world in Corvair if that's where a campaign would go, but also to try and you know play that against the duality of 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 well a kind of maternal or, or nurturing side um to a traditionally scary thing you know so i think i think there's a good nugget for a character in there <laughs> how about you wayne i don't believe i don't think i've played a drow uh in Ebron. it's um i don't have enough memory uh, of the last <laughs> 18 years to to confirm that however i have had um, players who've wanted to play drow mm. and you get into the sort of explanation and sort of i would like this to be in world makes sense in world so why are you a drow what are you doing away from zendrick what's the explanation and it's not that i'm trying to force upon the players um, some sort of lore but it's a very foreign thing to have a drow mm-hmm. outside of zendrick so why are you in Sharn? Yeah, there might be some in Sharn, but why are you in Northern Corvair? Mm-hmm. You know, what what is the story behind this this thing? And I think that's always that's also the also a very difficult point because if you're not specifically playing Zendrick or or, or something like that, you've got possibly you, you've got a fish out of water story almost, right? You've mm-hmm. got uh, Volcori who are, you know, they are. You know, jungle nomadic uh, people who are who have this huge ability in their natural environment, but you're going to take them out of that environment. You have a Sulatar who Keith has written, and most people I've seen have written are quite <laughs> arrogant um, and are quite like we're superior sort of thing. <laughs> you're like, yeah, you could be different, but that's the culture you're from. Uh, and then you have the Embergen who are basically these secretive. The world is falling down around us. My people need help. But I'm off exploring. Like, it's it's very to me. I find that yes, you can have great stories there, but there's a level of sort of DM player. We need to come to agreement on how this is going to play in there, and maybe it doesn't. But at least have an explanation of you are a pretty foreign-looking person in a foreign land. You know, we're talking about Corvair for a sec. You're a pretty foreign person. People are naturally not, maybe not even know what you are. Like this is not like, this is not like fear the drow for forgotten realms. This is, we don't know. You look like an elf. Why are you black skin and where, where do these scars and and colorations come from? Like those are big questions um, that need to be asked. And I think 
when I had the player ask me that, and I, I believe they didn't really know too much about Eberron, I went started going through this a little bit, and then they kind of backed out because not to force them, but it was sort of like, I just need some explanation of why you want to be a drow because a drow is not the same as in regular D&D in Forgotten Realms as it is as in, in Eberron. You've got a different story. And if you want me to tell that story, I need to know where that story comes from. But for me personally, I, I have not. There's a hundred million uh, things I want to play and they're all Warforged. Or about a hundred million <laughs> of them are Warforged and one is something else. Um, so no, unfortunately, I, I, I haven't. I haven't given it as much thought really. But as a DM, it's something that I would say, hey, you want to play a drought. That's great. What is the story you want me to tell about this fish out of water? Yeah, I I think that's a critical point, and I will say uh, that one of the articles I refer to a lot uh, that I've written is the Exotic Races article. Uh, that is basically the how do Illumians, how do Alvkin, you know, how do any of these particular things fit into Eberron? And the big piece of advice that I say there is you got to ask the player, why do you want to play this character? Because that's the question is, are you just playing this because this is the character you've always played and you just want to keep playing it? Are you playing it because you want the story of a Forgotten Realms drow in here? In which case, well, the closest we can probably do is the Umbrogen and just, you know, explain the difference. Or are we playing it because you just want like the abilities of a drow? You know, in which case, I don't know, you could be a mage bred human if we wanted to, you know, to go that way. Uh, so it is that question of when someone says they want to play a drow, are they actually wanting to invest in the story of the cultures in Eberron or are they wanting to play this character they have a vision of from other stories they've read? And it's just good to know that and then you can figure out the best answer. Um, for me, of course, the the drow character I've had the most experience with is Zeusersar from uh, the Dreaming Dark novels. And... Uh, she is very much a, you know, Vakori Drought, very much what you were describing, Imogen. And what I like about her as a character is, again, playing up the idea that the Vokori are a primal civilization. First, you have the, you know, again, as you said, the different aspects of the scorpion, but also just playing to the idea that they draw on other totemic spirits that they just have. They have a system of magic that they have honed over thousands of years that works very well for them, that ties to this. We draw on the, the aspects of these spirits. First off, I like playing that in direct contrast to your Insharn, this immense city, you know, this, this place of concrete magic. Uh, and saying, oh no, but I interact with magic in, a, in the world in a totally different way. And one of the things I actually like about Zoo in the books is that she kind of thinks all the main characters are dummies. Like she thinks their whole system, like I remember there's one thing in particular where I think, if I'm remembering it correctly, I think they're talking about death and they have all, someone explains how you go to Dolor and fade away. And she's like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Who would ever believe that? You know, we all know that's not how death works. 
And, and so I like that combination of playing a character who just has a completely different form of sort of science and civilization, uh, but then also playing that you're coming from a place that is very much a dangerous struggle to survive. You have to be a predator. And then how do you adapt that to being in a civilization where people aren't struggling to survive where, you know, I mean, like, how do you, how do your instincts work, you know, when you're suddenly taken out of that story? Uh, so I really like the, the Vokori for that aspect of playing up the, the primal, you know, the idea of how primal magic shapes the civilization, how that works when you're put into a arcane civilization uh, and such. At the same time, I also could definitely see playing the Umbrajen character who is, to me, the point is I am coming with a mission. And that mission is twofold. Either I need to try and find allies who are strong enough to help my people, or I need to find a weapon. You know, if we're playing Tomb of Annihilation, well, I need to find out how to harness the Lich's power because my people need that power. Like, I'll go with you through all this, but I'm getting this because I need that power. And so to me, it has, again, that aspect of I'm coming from a very alien society. I think actually all you people are incredibly primitive and narrow-minded. But also I have a clear, important mission that you all just don't understand. But maybe if you get powerful enough, I can eventually take you back home with me and we can fight Belashira together. Yeah, I I mean, it's... You know, definitely looking at it from you know what what are we looking at as a, a drow PC? It's um, I don't want to say painted into a corner, but there are some really amazing stories to tell here. But they have to be they're, they're told in a grander context, and I, I can almost feel that. I, I think I would have this would be very interesting to sort of play this entirely as a fish out of water thing, where it's like you're all from somewhere else. Tell me how why you're coming here. From there, what is your mission? Mix it together, figure out how that that mel- melds and meshes and in together. So, but yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, other things that just strike me as interesting is possibilities. Like we, none of us have mentioned the Sulatar in this, and one of the things that's interesting about the Sulatar is just the idea that they are interested in planar travel, and uh, that you could have. Uh, if that's going to be important in a campaign or even just like if a campaign's halfway underway, but oh, now we're going to start plane hopping, introducing a Sulatar uh, who is like figuring out how to move from plane to plane, you know, trying to figure out they're they're doing this all because eventually they want to figure out how to open a gigantic gate and swallow the world and fire. But until then, we'll go with you on your your plane hopping adventures. Uh, and I think, I mean, that is the interesting, an interesting thing to do with characters is have characters who are driven by a grand goal that is something like, I want to destroy the world. But it's not going to happen in the scope of this campaign. And in this campaign, I'll help you overthrow, uh, you know, the Dreaming Dark, because that's terrible. Um, and so, I mean, those can be sort of uh, fun things to explore. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there's there's something there specifically, you know, thinking about characters and trying to find, you know, you're, you're a member of an ensemble cast, essentially, and you're trying to find your one unique thing and how that fits into a party. With a Sulatar PC, you know, if you really lean into that, um, 
you know, expertise with planar magic, with with elemental binding magic. Well, you distinguish yourself, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. You know, you could be the driving force behind, say, um, a if you wanted to do airship pirates or something. Maybe yeah. you're the one who understands how the airship works. Well, if you don't have a Zill character, uh, maybe you understand it better than they do. Technically, uh, I'm pretty sure that we have described the Sulatar as being able to control fire elementals and saying like, oh, okay, so there's your air pirate. Sulatar can hijack uh, airships, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Or maybe I, they're the ones that generate, you know, that figure out space travel for your Spelljammer campaigners. Right. <laughs> uh, so the other thing I'll quickly say is for both players and DMs, another thing to consider is that the Umbergen in particular are supposed to dwell in Kyber. And Kyber, of course, is deeper than just, you know, basically slightly disconnected from space. So one of the things is that you could easily drop the Umbergen into Corvair because the same way that Dern has connections in the Moorholds and the Shadow Marches, there's nothing wrong with saying there we suddenly break through or open up a passage uh, in Corvair that goes to the realm of the Umbergen. You know, the Umbergen essentially are, you know, in a demiplane. And so first of all, that's just a way that you could just make them a sort of force that people interact with. Uh, if you just want to have Drow with a, a sort of greater presence in Corvair, you can just say, oh, yeah, you know, this has come up and now we're negotiating with them and, you know, trying to do diplomatic relations. Or this is a way that you could suddenly have a Drow invasion plot line. Like if you wanted to suddenly have Umbrogen attack, you know, or something like that. And again, they could be driven by they're trying to get what they feel they need to beat Belashira. But, you know, you could still have that. They they suddenly show up and basically try to conquer Flame Keep or something like that because they've decided they need to add the Silver <laughs> Flame to the Umbra. You know, I mean, you could definitely do some pretty uh, grandiose things there. But also the main point is you could just make connections to the Umbrogen realm pop up anywhere in Corvair. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Any last thoughts from anyone or shall we uh, yeah. wrap it up there on that uh, scary note that the drow could be anywhere? Anywhere. Um, <laughs> they're under your feet right now. Good, yeah. um, all, right. all right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Um, be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone where you can find subscription links to our show um, and links to all our social media. And you can even post comments on an episode uh, so please let us know what you think there. Um, we don't have a topic picked out for next week yet. Uh, next week, next episode yet. So yep. stay tuned. Um, I'm sure it'll be a surprise at the start of next episode. Um, so until then, keep exploring. <laughs>